the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 210 for July 7th, 2009. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. I'm Dave Hamilton here in Durham, New Hampshire. That is John F. Braun. Hi, John. How are you? I'm in Fairfield, Connecticut. You are. Checked. <laughs> when was the last time you checked? Moments ago. And Pete, Pete's, yeah, Pete's with you. Pete's here in the TMO Towers East in, uh, in Durham. Yep. Greetings all. We have, uh, we have a very full show. We got a lot of comments about a couple of things last week, one of which we'll go into in more depth than the other. Um, but then we've also got uh, just a bunch of tips and questions and uh, and some great stuff to go through. And then, John, you were at Pepcom. And yes, you have a show. Yep. And so you have some stuff to tell us about that. This is yeah, crazy. At some point. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it's just a, a potpourri. I don't know if you can call it. Can you call it that? Yeah, I think you can. I think you just did, actually. Yeah. It's like a mix of random stuff. That's what this is, I think. I think it is. Steven writes. Uh, I just listened to Mac Geek Gab 208, where you discuss storing your iTunes library on an external hard drive. My wife does something very similar with a twist I thought you might find interesting that you would want to share with all of our listeners. The drive that contains her iTunes library is attached to our time capsule and shared over AirDisc. This would also work with Airport Extreme and as an aside would work with just about any uh, shared drive network system. That way, as long as the air disc is mounted, she is free to wander the house unencumbered, listening to music, downloading podcasts, and syncing her iPod without having to either physically attach the external drive or deal with the hassles of managing multiple iTunes libraries. I'm sure this uses up some amount of our network bandwidth, but it can't be that much more than streaming music from a Mac to an Airport Express. In fact, she often streams the music from the air disc drive to our Airport Express over her 802.11G connection with no skipping or other issues. If you did this with a portable drive, ours isn't USB or FireWire powered, I assume you could unplug the drive when you leave the house and take it with you without major complications. Anyway, I really enjoy the show. Please, please give up the great work. Thank you, Stephen. That's great. That's, a, that's an interesting, it's a creative solution there. So, well, I assume what happens when the drive is not there is that it asks, well, where is it? Actually, we talked about that in 208. iTunes does not ask. Oh, it sorry. just it just defaults back or to look back to where it okay so it yeah I'm puts sorry. it back so in it your home through folder. where it, okay so it rotates through ah nice yeah just it just defaults back to home um, music iTunes library and and puts it right in there that's yeah. good design man yeah yeah I guess it is yeah yeah it's what you would expect I would argue yeah I think so. Come on, we got our. Oh no, we have we'll, to we'll save well, it. We'll I, save it for later. No, it, it's true. I mean, we, and we. Yeah, I just don't want to rehash the argument. So, but it, but it, you know, there's 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 pros and cons. You can listen to Mac Geek up two hundred eight. We talked about the pros and cons of all this, but this is a great solution. Worth it now, we'll we'll argue later. We'll, 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 or we'll argue retroactively. <laughs> What's next? Uh, Peter is next, and Peter has an interesting question with an even more interesting solution. But I think. As was the case with you and I, Peter's question will enlighten us to something that we did not know existed. Hey, John and Dave. This is oh, for crying out loud. Hang on. Let's try this again. I don't know why this keeps happening. 
Hey, John and Dave. This is Peter from Syracuse, New York. Uh, recently bought a new MacBook Pro 13-inch, and I use the migration assistant from my old MacBook. And the problem I'm having is in save and open dialogs, or probably just open dialogs, uh, the little little photo option on the sidebar only lists photo booth but does not see my aperture or my photo library. What can I do to get this back? What did I do wrong? I know, I know. You warned me about migration assistant. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the show. Bye. Actually, he warned you about migration assistant. I, I tend to like it. Although I dig I, it, but you could miss things. Now, this one, I got to admit, I misunderstood the question. We may want to talk about what I thought he was trying to do. And, you know, it's a pretty quick tangent. But anyway, so, so here, uh, I got to say, honestly, I really don't use this feature. I but you led me to it, Dave, because, yeah, I, I didn't. Uh, honestly, I've never used this particular aspect. I, I think this is a Safari or nope. certain apps or all apps bring all, this up. Okay. All apps. Yeah. So what happens is um, the we've all likely seen reference to the iLife media browser. And what that one of the things that does is when you go to the file menu and choose open in Leopard, uh, you see on the left, you get a, a little dialogue that shows you the location where you are. But on the left, it has similar to the finder devices and it shows you all your drives shared and it shows anything that's on the network near you places. And that's all the things that you've customized or built out there where it's got desktop and downloads and applications and your home folder. And then it's got a section called media. And I have to be honest, I until Peter's question came in, I never saw this media there. I have I, I have a pretty long list of places, so I just never scrolled down to see what was at the bottom. And sure enough, at the bottom, photos appears for me. And in photos, I see on one machine, I see iPhoto on another. I have photo booth and iPhoto. And the reason I have different things on different machines is because I've used iLife and its associated components differently on those machines. And on this one, photo booth doesn't appear because I've never used photo booth on this machine. Now, for Peter, he had used photo booth. He had used iPhoto and he had used aperture. But once he migrated over, it didn't pull uh aperture and iPhoto data into the media browser. And I think what happened is the salute. Well, it's, it, it's easier to talk about what happened when we, when we know the solution. So the solution, Peter is download and reinstall the iLife support, which is currently version 9.0.3. Uh, and then we'll put a link. It's at support.apple.com. Once you install that, it goes through and it rebuilds or reassociates this media browser. What I think happened was iLife had kind of built this media browser and then you migrated data in uh, underneath it, but it did not know that it was there. So it didn't know to point to it by reinstalling iLife support. It's it's not really the files with iLife support, but more the the installer package is going to go through search for that integrated into the media browser. And then you should have uh, all of the data there. So. That's that's my uh, that's my thought on this. And, and from some searching I did, Peter, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going to find that that works for you. Yeah, that's a good thought. And actually, I noticed while you were talking, I was uh, messing around with uh, text edit. And if you go in the media menu in text edit, you get music, photos and movies under the media tab. OK, because text edit supports those. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So you can support those, I guess, in a RTFD document. Yeah. Anytime you include media. So that's a. Uh, 
That's kind of cool. Now, what I thought he was talking about was open with, which is something from the Finder. Right. Where if you right-click on a document or control-click uh, a document type, it'll say open and open with. And I think that database you can probably look at in like RC default apps or something like that. That's what I thought he was saying. I I, I, I guess I was riffing through the uh, questions a bit too quickly. And I thought that that's what he was talking about. Yep. In which case, I'm not sure exactly where that... Well, yeah, uh, yeah it's buried somewhere in RC default app. Yep. You can find that mapping. But um, there may be times when you right-click on something and open with should list all apps that can handle that type of file, but sometimes it doesn't happen. So Right. Cool. Uh, nice. Our first sponsor for this show is Smile on My Mac with PDF Pen. Now, PDF Pen is an application that lets you edit, markup, change, modify, and rebuild PDFs. You can take a PDF in, let's say you have a document that you've got by fax and you need to sign it and send it back. Well, if you've scanned your signature in, you can paste your signature into the PDF using PDF pen and then generate it as a PDF and send it back out. If you need, if you've got a scanner and you scanned in, uh, let's say a, a text document, you can pull it into PDF pen and it will actually perform OCR optical character recognition right on the scan document to, to, uh, to make the text editable, or you could copy it and put it into another file. You can use it, of course, to delete uh, and or merge pages from several PDFs together. And you can search, select, and copy the text inside PDF documents. So if you need to repurpose that text for, for any purpose, uh, you, you can do that inside PDF pen. New version has come out. Actually, version 4.1.5 came out today. Uh, but 4.1.4, which came out last week, offers uh, an added AppleScript document property performing OCR, which allows you to tap into that OCR engine with a little bit more granularity now that it's uh, built in and there's an AppleScript uh, document property for it. So all of this is in PDF pen, which is from Smile on My Mac at SmileOnMyMac.com. You can, of course, download a free trial. But uh, when you when you're ready to purchase, it's fifty or forty nine ninety five, and they have a ninety day money back guarantee. So go check it out at smileonmymac.com. There's a video tutorial there if you want to uh, see a little screencast of it, and uh, and you're good to go. Smileonmymac.com with PDF pen. Mm-hmm. And I think it's time for Carl. Oh, Carl, Carl, Carl. Oh, so Carl, we can't read the whole thing. No, I get we or can't. You can't. <laughs> It's just a, a tale a tale of woe. Carl had a tale of woe about printing issues. And he had added a bunch of printers and done some funny things. And it was working. And then he did some more funny things. And now it's not working. And even though he undid the second batch of funny things, uh, it's still not working. And so basically, it's to the point where it's nuke and pave time. And, of course, you can nuke and pave your entire system, but that's no fun at all just to get a printer working. In fact, it's no fun at all pretty much in any situation. But what you can do is you can nuke and pave just the printing system. So you go into system preferences, you click on print and fax, then you right click on any printer that's there and you'll see a little menu. The second and last option of which is reset printing system. Now, what it does is it deletes all your printers, all the queues for them and the jobs. It resets all the printer settings to their defaults by deleting all the configuration files. And it performs a permissions check on the temp directory uh, since the printing system makes 
good use of the temp directory, it wants to make sure it's going to be able to write to uh, to files that are there and or write to folders that are there. So that's how you do it in uh, in Leopard. In Tiger, it's in the utilities menu. You've got to um, you got to go to uh, applications, utilities, and then run the printer setup utility. And then from there in the printer setup utility menu, you can choose reset printing system. So that's in Tiger. But in Leopard, you do it in system preferences. Yeah, I think what interesting feature again, again, something I'd never knew. I never knew existed. Yes. So nice. nice yeah, I think we talked stuff. about it before. It, it, oh, we did. It, yeah, it's a uh, no, we did. But it's, it's something unless you right click in that window, you'll never see it. Right. Or know what it means. Yeah, basically just tries to unmunge. And, and this kind of well, it involved, I think, at a certain level, the sharing of a cups database cups is right. Common Unix printing system, which uh, depending on, uh, I don't know, if, uh, I think some CUPS drivers come bundled with OS X, but uh, I think you're, you're usually better off if you have a driver from the vendor for your printer to use that. But CUPS is, is a, you know, certainly a good thing to have as a, as a backup. But, but it sounds like to me those got corrupted. They were being shared among multiple environments or something, and they just got whacked. So Yep. Okay. All right. Uh, where are we on time here? I want to make sure we have time for everything that we've got. Um, should we do James next, John, or should we do uh, Dick here? Yeah. Dick's good. This is a good thing so. to, to revisit. We, we talk about this about every six months. He writes... I'm trying to figure out where to smart. I'm using SuperDuper to do a nightly smart backup of my Mac... So I'm wondering if there would be any benefit to let main menu Onyx cocktail or any other such application do a nightly, weekly, monthly run of say repair disk permissions, run cron maintenance scripts, update pre bindings, clean user system or font caches and clean archive logs. Or would I just be wasting time doing so? If I should be letting these programs do a cleanup, how often is recommended? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give my advice here, John. I, I know you may or may not agree with me, but uh, I'm just going to throw this out there and then and then we'll <laughs> we'll discuss. So uh, super duper, unless you have changed its defaults, when it runs a backup, the first thing it does is it runs a permissions repair on that volume uh, before it backs it up because it wants to make sure it's getting the data the right way. So uh, if you're doing super duper every day, you probably don't need to run the permissions uh, with with any more regularity, but, but it, it almost never hurts. The daily, weekly and monthly scripts all rotate the, the log files and, and clean out the logs. In fact, among all three of them, I think every system log gets dealt with somehow. Uh, so that leaves update pre bindings and clean user system and font caches. And for that, you know, doing that monthly isn't going to hurt. Uh, I wouldn't recommend doing it any more frequently. I don't think you're going to get any huge benefit out of it. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't think there's anything terribly wrong with doing that on a monthly basis just to keep things happy. The other thing I would do on a monthly basis, which you can't automate, uh, is run a file system check using go into disk utility and just do a verified disk. That's different from verified disk permissions to a verified disk. And if there's a problem then you need to reboot either into single user mode or reboot from the, the system boot DVD to, uh, to actually repair the disk, but you can verify disk while it's uh, while it's your boot volume. So that that's what I would in a, in a very uh, small, tight nutshell that that's what I would recommend. I violently disagree with all violently <laughs> disagree. Excellent. <laughs> no. That's great. Nope. No, I'm with you all the way. Um, uh, a couple of uh, 
clarifications. The monthly scripts, from what I understand, now I, I think I wrote a gadget. Uh, I can't recall the title of uh, uh, the utility that did this, but apparently if, if the machine, uh, normally they run at a scheduled time. My understanding now is that if, if they miss their wake-up time, then the next time the machine comes on, they will do their task, either daily, weekly, monthly, as they've pointed out. It rotates or, you know, I guess purges logs at a certain point. It's going to get rid of stuff. It's not going to save everything forever. At least I hope not. Um, pre-bindings, I'm totally with because that can never, in my opinion, can never hurt things. I'd be careful about the font system and user caches because you may be... You may be uh, slowing yourself down there. Yeah. I would say, yeah, I would say rebuilding those, the, the, the amount of time it takes to rebuild them, if you're having problems, maybe with your fonts and stuff, I, I would only if you have a problem would I say clean those caches. Otherwise, they're doing what they're doing, which is, you know, caching data that you access all the time. So, right, that's the only deviation I would I would have from uh, from what you said there. Um, I, I've seen enough problems occur with caches that are, in theory, working properly, but but not, and and causing some erroneous result to to appear. Uh, at, at exactly okay. the wrong time. So I it, it's because of that that I think it's worth that that monthly hit of performance. And, it, you know, it might okay. take half a day for that. Those caches to all kind of build back up to where they're they're gaining. You know, they're they're getting you their full benefit. But I, th I think it's worth it to stave off those, you know, Tuesday afternoon at four o'clock deadline looming. Uh, now my system's acting acting funky kind of things. So, you know, if if you can clean your caches at a time that it doesn't really cost you a whole lot. Well, maybe you're better off in the, in the long haul, but you're right. You are sacrificing uh, not just the time that you have to spend cleaning the caches, but some time after that to help them get built back up. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Cause some of the, you know, we talked about this in the past, but especially with some of the utilities that let you really dig into the system and what it does. Yeah, I don't know. I, I get nervous with those because I, I don't necessarily understand all the time what the downside is of doing something. I mean, it sounds cool. Oh, clean this cache. Oh, right. of course. I'll make it clean. Clean is better. Well, <laughs> maybe not always. So That's again, I, I don't dabble too deeply unless I get major problems with things like Onyx and, uh, you know, the other tools that you kind of dig in and, and tweak these settings, which most you can probably get to from the command line, though. That's a, you know, scary thing in and of in itself. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. All right. All right. So speaking, uh, speaking, no, no, speaking uh, of no. fixing Ooh. something and, and breaking something else, uh, <laughs> we, we can, we can put Apple up on the pedestal for a moment. Hi, John and Dave trying to listen to 202 from the 29th on my iPhone down, uh, streamed from iTunes, not downloaded, but streamed from iTunes. And I think it's, thinks it's a video file. It is a video file again, because every time I try to, close the screen and put it in my pocket, it shuts the podcast off. Uh, I know you had a trouble with this uh, episode or two ago, so I'm sure you know about it, but just uh, thought I'd let you know. Thanks, Mike. Yep, we know about it. Uh, it. Thank you all for pointing this out. So prior to iPhone 3.0, there was an issue that if you downloaded a podcast on the iPhone, uh, and, and when you download on the iPhone, it puts it into the iPod app on the iPhone. So if you downloaded... Uh, an AAC version of our podcast and many others, though not all others. Uh, it, and then you went into uh, the iPod to play it. It would play it and act like it was a video, which which gave you two problems. One, you couldn't see the chapter list easily. And two, as uh, as our caller pointed out, you could not 
uh, put the screen to sleep and let the podcast continue playing, which is, of course, exactly what you want to do because it saves the battery. Now they fixed that in iPhone 3.0. You can download, go into iPod app and it works fine. If, however, you try to stream the podcast from right within the iTunes app, it acts like a video again. And uh, and as soon as one of you pointed this out, we got back with Apple, uh, had them confirm that the issues there. What they have not yet told us is what the fix was for the uh, for the iPod part of it, because it's not happening with all AAC podcasts. And to be clear, it's actually it has nothing to do with the podcast file and has everything to do with where the file is hosted and where it's downloaded from. Because if you take the same file and host it on, say, mobile me versus Cashfly servers, uh, it comes in just fine on mobile me. So it's definitely uh, some funky thing that the there's a header or something that the, the iPhone seeing and doesn't like. Now, I worked with the folks at Cashfly. We made all the headers look exactly the same as the headers at mobile me, and it still didn't work. So there's something hmm. there's something funky going on. And, and frankly, we're at a loss waiting for Apple to uh, to either fix it, which I think for other reasons, a new iPhone update might be coming out. But I don't know if this is going to be included in it. Uh, there's kind of been you know rumors percolating of battery issues and that that they hope to fix with a, an iPhone OS 3.1, I guess. But I don't know if this is uh, is planned for for that or, or what's going on. So, so we're, we're working and, and beating on Apple to try and get an answer out of them, but that that's where this problem lies. So that's that. Yep. All what's right. Next. Uh, let's talk about this MTU thing quick. So uh, I'll back up last week. We had a, a woman named Sharon wrote in and explained that at this, uh, large network that she was helping uh, some Mac customers with. She, uh, she was having issues where Macs would start downloading fast and then slow down uh, to the point where it stopped working. We've since found out she's on a wired network as we presumed, uh, but yes. you know, still all these, all these problems were happening. Now, Steven Swift uh, was the first to, uh, to mention this to us, but, uh, but we had many, many others, uh, Stephen wrote, our apartment had a problem with slow connections from the Macs with a Netgear router. The PC's network connections were just fine. The solution was to reduce the MTU on the Mac from 1500 to 1400. And there's a knowledge base article about how to do that. It involves going into the network settings and the system preferences. This got tiring when friends visited. So I reinvestigated and upgraded firmware, messed with QoS and reserved IPs for the devices. One or all of those things helped as the Macs are no longer slower than the PCs. Now, the presumption was it was uh, the firmware on the router that that fixed this. But we've also had some other people write in and say that it was the Macs that were getting uh, DHCP addresses versus standard addresses were having this issue. Uh, Sharon has tried changing the MTU on a couple of these machines and it has not solved uh, the issue entirely, though it did appear to help. But part of the problem is with, you know, hundreds of computers on the network, it's impossible to troubleshoot certainly well, from, you know, via email and, and from a distance, but, uh, but probably even for her on site without being able to, to, to do it. But, you know, the firmware and the router is, is definitely the, uh, the, the, 
the suspect culprit here? You know, I think so. A couple of things. Yeah. I, just, I, I did a lot of research on this. I'm not going to give it all to you because it would take a whole show. But right. So number one is Mr. X actually did speculate. And I think he may have touched upon something important here on any Ethernet segment or network segment, TCP IP segment. You can only put so many people before it starts getting a little bit too busy. Right. That could be part of it. Now, the other thing about the MTU, I looked this up. All I'll mention here is that MTU. So for an Ethernet network. 1500 bytes is about the right size. Now there's a mechanism. Let's, which is let's talk about MTU is maximum right. transmissible. transmission. Yeah. Transmission unit. That yeah. is at the very lowest level, depending on the physical medium, the size of each data packet that is sent from one device to another. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. So 1500 bytes is the standard for Ethernet networks. Now, depending on the type of network you're on, that could get a little bigger or smaller. Like a lot of times if you're on a VPN or doing PPPoE, the size will be smaller. Um, but, But the basic thing is that if you send a packet that is larger than the MTU that the router expects, what happens is it'll fragment it. It'll break it up into more than one packet. That's when bad things happen. And there are actually ways using the ping tool, which is a low-level tool on a network, assuming that the router is set up right and firewalls don't block this, where you can determine the right size. And basically what happens is something called MTU path discovery. You send out pings with packets of increasing size. Once a packet comes back saying, or a message comes back saying, this pigment, this packet <laughs> has been fragmented, say that three times fast, um, you know that you have reached something beyond the MTU or whatever the router is comfortable with. Hopefully they're the same, but it sounds like in this case they may not be. Right. So if you're below that size, which is the proposal in the Apple article, if you reduce it from 1500, which is normal for Ethernet to 1400, you're probably not going to get all this chatter. But, but then I think, again, Mr. X touched on something that if you have way too many people on a network segment, especially as he pointed out, and I would agree with him, you start getting broadcast traffic on a network. No matter what type of network, if you got all those machines, they're all chattering about printers and, and IMs and stuff like that. And there are a lot of messages that just get sent to everybody because that's the way some systems, like especially printing and networking and stuff like that. Yep. So I'm going to side on network design in this case, maybe being part of it. Yeah. Although if, if it were, if it were strictly network design, then presumably the mm-hmm. windows machines would be having issues too. Uh, and so I think, you know, and I, I emailed this to Sharon. I don't know how feasible this is, but the test w- in a situation like this would be unplug everything from the router except for one of the Macs okay. and 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 try it. Right. And see, OK, does it you know, does it help? Because she sent some reports, you know, there were ping times uh, from anywhere from, you know, 100 milliseconds to 700 milliseconds. Oh, that's like, way too much. Yeah. If it's at 700, it means that the connection is soaked up. Mm. And OK, now, you know, we're dealing with a different mm. issue. So, yeah. yeah, to me, I'm in a cable network and my expectation to the, the cable company's router is in the tens of milliseconds, if right. not single digit. Right. Well, this was this was ping times out to, you know, speedtest.net. So, it, oh, you know, oh. to see to, again and again that that factors in a whole lot of other, you know, routers and, and hops. Well, I, I would there. start. Well, yeah, as so a debugging, I'm going to link to an article that talks about how to do this and the steps you should take. But the first, of course, is the router you're talking to internally. Ping that. I mean, if right. you're getting hundreds of milliseconds pinging your internal router. That's a good point. I to me, there's something seriously wrong. The one that's farther out. So in my case, again, I think they designed our network here well, and it's nice and fast. If you ping then the router that is the ISP router, 
you know, you may get tens or hundreds. I would hope not hundreds. And as you reach out farther, I think it'll escalate. But if you're getting hundreds for the internal router, to me, yeah, that that's where the problem is. All right. Well, we're going to we're going to tighten this conversation up here, but uh, because <laughs> it, it could on. go on forever. But but t- suffice to say, if you're seeing it, it, it's possible that some of you may see this issue at home. As, as Stephen Swift pointed out, uh, it, you know, he was seeing it on a, you know, five computer or less network. And and it turned out to it was exactly the same symptoms. And it turned out in all likelihood to be a firmware update uh, on the router itself that that finally resolved it for him. So. Uh, it it is worth checking into that if you see this issue on your Macs. Adjusting the MTU might be a, a short term fix, but but hopefully the router manufacturer can can you know solve it yes. in firmware so that you don't have to deal with it uh, long term. Agreed. So, uh, okay, our second sponsor for the show is Circus Ponies with Notebook version three. Now, Notebook is a way to organize all those little snippets of information. That might be related to one project or another that you don't really have another place to do. You have email, you have, uh, y- you know, your uh, word processing documents, but you might have a bunch of web clippings and little notes and, and snippets here and there. And maybe some tasks that are organized, you know, around these events. You can organize them into individual electronic notebooks for each project or facet of your life, however you want to organize it. Uh, it does come with some templates to give you a, a starting point. This is one of those apps where when you launch it the first time, it might be a little daunting because it's a blank slate and it is built for you to create in just about any way you want. So they do give you some templates and there's a video tour uh, that Don McAllister screencast online did for them. Uh, very much recommended. Go out and check that out. It's available at circusponies.com. You can check that. And, uh, and Don walks you through just how he sees this software being used again, you know, that it's one man's opinion, but uh, but it gives you some ideas about how to use it. Then once you're ready to start, you can download Notebook uh, for free. You get a 30 day free trial. And then if you want to keep uh, keep using it, it's forty nine ninety five. This is all available at CircusPonies.com and it's Notebook version three point oh. Sweet. I think Don's a credible source. Oh, Don's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In this case, I think it's, it's, it's worth pointing out, you know, Don, Don does his show, Screencasts Online, but he also contracts his services out. And, and I think, I don't, I don't know for sure, but I think in this case, the folks at, at, uh, at Circus Ponies went to him and said, look, you know, we want you to do a screencast for, uh, for Notebook. And so, you know, uh, we'll pay you, ex- you know, they negotiated some deal and, and Don did it and it's their screencast. Again, I don't know that for sure. It could be that he just happened to have done one and they linked to it, which of course, you know, is, is great, but he also does uh contract his services out. So there you go. That's a free plug yeah. for Mr. Don McAllister, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, well, another thing we talked about last week, I talked about this run core drive that I got, which is an SSD drive. And it, it's clear that uh, there was some confusion and uh, and also just some worthy follow up to go through about SSD drives in general. So we're going to we're going to talk through some of these uh, quickly here and uh, and then we'll get on to some of the stuff that John saw at Pepcom, which includes an SSD drive. But first, Adam. Hi, this is Adam. I'm waving my fist in the air and. um I can't get any satisfaction. This is amazing. You guys are going on and on about the SSD um, miracle. Um, I remember when I bought my uh, MacBook Air a year and a half ago and paid the $1,500 premium, 
um, you guys were just going on and on about how slow it was and how it wasn't enough of a powerhouse and how it was it was something that you were not going to be interested in. And uh, and I got that thing with the SSD drive and saw it as a true evolution. And uh, it's been a really fast machine as a result of that SSD drive. And um, I'm glad to see you finally coming on board at the SSD revolution, but it's a little late. And uh, so I'm waving my fist at you. Okay? Bye. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. I, I Okay, well, if we if we dismiss the SSD drive, and, and I think... We did. Now, it, arguably, we did not test it. This is the first SSD drive I've tested in this capacity. Uh, initial reports about the SSD drive were lackluster. Uh, hold on here. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. So I, I just got to back up here. So so he was waving his fist. I'm, I'm shaking my fist back. <laughs> Why is that? I do not. I, I personally would not recommend an air as uh, despite the SSD as a. Uh, Oh, absolutely. Primary yeah, yeah. machine. Yeah, I hadn't even gotten there yet. Yeah, they, they, they so I'm going to shake back. I just want to get a preemptive shake back. All right, there you go. Before we get really rolling here. Right? Yeah, the SSD in the air, I had I had seen some reports, and, and in fact, there are still some reports now that, that say that Apple's SSD drives run at about a third the speed of this Runcore drive. Now, that's a report that I have not confirmed. I saw it, uh, some, you know, testing that was done out there. I tweeted about it and somebody replied with, with some benchmarks that they had seen. Uh, in any case, the, the SSD drive itself, I, I stand by what I said last week and, and, um, Adam is absolutely right. It, you know, it is revolutionary in that term. That said, I agree with you, John. I, I wouldn't, I still don't see the air as a feasible primary machine for me. But there, there are some people out there that disagree. I know Jason Snell over at MacWorld is one of them. He he really likes yeah. the uh, the MacBook Air and and lives with it. Mm-hmm. So okay, know, so there you go. Yeah. Um, but to take it a little bit on the SSDs. So, um, so I promised to do this, and and I looked at it. Probably the best article was Anand. Uh, and uh, how do you pronounce that? I don't know. Anantech is how I Anantech. always pronounce it. Anantech. Okay, that yeah. looks right. Okay. So, anyways, they have a reviewer that he basically ripped apart one of these, um, a, a competitor to run core, and sure. a worthy one, I think, the Intel X25M okay. uh, SSD. And that, that I would say, is one of, uh, in the same class as run core, based on the stats I've seen. Okay. But that review went over a lot of important things, and I just want to cover them quickly, because this area, I think, is still emerging. Um, if I had to sum up the problem with SSDs, yeah, you know, I'll probably start with that. The problem that I've seen in all the reviews that I've read is that random writing performance is where you may get bit with these drives. Okay. And that the 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 nature, the current nature of the controllers and the memory on most of the drives do not lend themselves to write times with highly variable data um, that will make you happy. And okay. Now, okay. I don't know if you experienced that. You made it because the thing is, they are still on the most. Uh, and and uh, I'll admit the uh, the reviewer found a certain early um, MLC drive, which MLC is is multi level cell, and that basically means multiple states per cell. So potentially they can be slower to write to, and potentially uh, don't last as long or, or operate as fast. But it sounds like you know, especially Runcore has gotten around that. Yeah. Uh, the benefit of MLC is that it's it is less expensive, but it has some inherent drawbacks, but if you know how to deal with them at the controller level, which I think is the key here, because the reviews I saw is that the controller that you use, uh, uh, in general, SLC will be faster and MLC will be slower, but if your controller is smart 
and knows how to implement certain algorithms, then you can get better performance. And Runcore, I think, has hit upon it because I like the stats and the type of memory, and that they are at the top of the heap right now. Yep. Intel is a close second, but if you want to get their their drive in the same class as Runcore, it's going to cost you way way more. They have, uh, which is their SSD drive. So so for now, I could see uh, Runcore has done a, a excellent job of getting MLC memory to. Uh, perform it at reasonable speeds. Okay, so I'll I'll talk about this cuz one of the other downsides that I read about but have not experienced is when the drive gets full, uh now you're writing and as you pointed out when we were having our pre-show discussion John, there's a very important thing that happens on an SSD drive when you start having to rewrite data or write data to where data had been written before, you need to, it's a two-step operation. First, you must delete what was there, and then you can go ahead and write to it. Uh, so, or, or I believe so. So again, I'm learning here, but I believe or mark it as ready to be deleted. At which, at some point in the future, you may write back to it. And actually, I think so. Now that I think about what what I've digested, there's a lot of stuff there. But I think uh, if you go with me, because uh, so I think you grok what I said. Yeah, is you may mark something as you know this is ready to be written at some time. But when you come back to it, so so, right. Uh, I so, think I, so when I initially you, questioned, had you gotten, had you used your drive enough to go through a full write cycle? Because what one thing these drives do is something called um, write leveling, which is they don't write in the same place all the time. Because the problem is all of these memory cells have a fixed lifetime, so they must, unlike a conventional hard drive, I would argue, uh, these drives must distribute data, or else you're going to burn out certain cells prematurely, and that's that's bad. Right. Okay. So. Uh, so there, there is this issue where once once you know that you have to write over a specific spot, it's got to delete it first or make sure it's already been deleted. And then or a race can, cycle, which is, I think, expensive. That's where, <laughs> you know, I used to talk over you all the time. And now I'm, that I'm, table has I'm turned dishing it back. Yes. <laughs> OK, I'm going to try this again. And if I have no. to use the mute button, I will. Uh, so there, there's this issue with with writing to the drive and and the best way to test that would be for the drive to get full. And now not only am I doing random writes all over the place, but clearly uh, unless my uh, I'm going to let my system crash, the drive is going to have to be it, spaces on the drive are going to have to be erased and then rewritten. I got there today. Uh, I got a warning about halfway through my day today that the drive was full. Now, this was not intentional. Uh, but, you know, I went from a 250 gig drive down to 128 gig drive. I, I had about 100 gigs free on my 250, but that still meant clearing quite a bit off. And I got to the point where there was about 10 gigs free when I started on the Runcore drive. Well, today that number was down to less than 100 megabytes. Uh, so I definitely have filled this drive. Uh, and then I cleared some stuff off, made a, you know, quickly made a few gigs free, uh, quit some apps and let virtual memory reclaim some more or rather release some more. So I've definitely been through this cycle. And I have to say at no point before or after uh, seeing that happen, did I notice performance decrease at all? I've also read that performance decreases as the drive fills up, presumably for similar reasons as, as what you just said. But I, I haven't seen that on this particular drive. Now it could be in the way that I'm using it, or it could be, as you said, in the way that, uh, you know, Runcore has built their, their controller. I don't know, but, but what I do know is I saw no noticeable 
you know, speed lags or that, you know, hard drive. Uh, I don't want to say grinding because it's a it's, it's a different experience, but I haven't seen any of that uh, at all with this uh, SSD drive. And, you know, I've been running on it for what a little over almost two weeks now, I think. So, OK. But I think it may happen. Now, the other thing that occurred to me and, and the reviewer talked well, wait, about Well, wait, 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 wait. You, you don't get that for free. What you say you think it may happen. When would this happen? Why, why would it happen if it hasn't happened now? Why would it happen? It would happen if you cycle through the entire drive. Which and, I have. Are you sure? Well, I got down to less than 100 megabytes free. I consider that cycling out of a 128 gigabyte drive. I'm going to go ahead and, and check that box that I've gone through everything. Mm. Well, what's the what's there to discuss? Could be. Well, what's to discuss? There's another thing called write amplification, which some drives have where the data is written is much. Uh, there's a lot of things. We have to look through the reviews. But what I'm saying, no, you don't maybe, get to just. No, 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 no. You got to come up with serious stuff in order to refute what I've just said here. Now, it's fine if you want to come up with it in the future. You don't have to have it now, but you don't get to just say, well, I don't think that's valid. And we move on. You don't okay. get to do that. Then you're right. <laughs> I don't have to be right. Down. I don't have to be right. I just need to. We, we just need to have data to back it up. Hmm. So, OK, well, I don't even have one. So I've just looked through the uh, reviews. Yeah, but they speak of slowdowns over time due to the rewrite erase cycles okay so okay all right yeah it'll be interesting you to may see. have not reached that point I, I i may be mistaken in what it takes in order to get to the point where it starts doing the erase rewrite would it have to be multiple erase rewrites i mean it would seem to me that the first that the first erase rewrite is the same as the hundredth erase rewrite or 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 am I am I not understanding that correctly? No, I think you are. And the other could be the nature okay. of the, you know the size of data you deal with. Are you doing a lot of big files, small files? Probably mostly small files to be yeah to be to be accurate. Yeah. So yeah. I want to try one of these because I'm intrigued by the characteristics of the memory versus a hard drive mm -hmm. and that the. the uh, but just reading about how some of the early attempts, and this guy really whacked a couple of uh, vendors of early drives because there will be notable pauses. And, and obviously from what you said about this drive, now, I mean, he would notice when the drive was doing a lot of writes of little itty bitty files. And I think it was it was exercising that mechanism that would do the writes and erases. He was noticing, you know, half second pauses, which, of course, is unacceptable. So uh, that's a long time. Yeah, not with it, the Intel and not with, uh, I would assume, the, 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 because the run core I looked in, and they have throughput reports uh, at or better than the Intel drive, which I, I would say is is one of the premier drives. But it looks like they, they leapfrogged them a little bit from what I saw of the price and the performance. I, I think if you paid way more, you could get better performance. Intel has a like a server class drive, but you're going to pay like 900 bucks, which is like 300 bucks. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I think the. Um it seems like we're at about, from my research, the third generation of SSD drives now. And that sounds right. Yeah. yeah. And so, and and I, I I remembered reading a lot of not so great things about the first gen of these, and and whereas especially write performance was you know pitiful. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I'm happy to you know keep filling this drive and uh, and you know backing it down to see where where things go. Yeah. One thing blew me away. And and there there are some other things I want to get to here, but one thing blew me away. I launched Photoshop CS3. I don't think I have CS4 installed in this machine. I launched CS3 the other day. Now this used to be about a ninety second affair. If I'm if, and I and I did not benchmark it previously. 
Uh, but it went from a, you know, oh, I better walk away and maybe go get some water kind of thing to a, like a 10 second launch. It was nice. huge. Yeah. Radical change. So anyway, again, um, reads, no question. Reads will always be amazing on these drives. Right. That's right. Yeah. 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 Writes. It depends. And actually we had uh, oh, a little tangent. We, we had someone write and I don't have the specifics in front of me, but there's a way on some machines to replace your optical drive with a uh, either SSD or mechanical drive. Yep. I would say that getting a hybrid may not be a bad idea if you want to do that. Oh, yeah. Where you have your mechanical drive, which for certain things, I think it's still better. But for the SSD drive, other things, it's way better. Like, you know, I would store my applications on the SSD drive. To me, that's a no-brainer because they're pretty much always loading. I doubt there's much writing going on, at least in the right. applications folder. Right. Documents folder, eh, maybe that goes on the, the, yeah, the hard that's drive. A, so that's, that's a good um, point. Yeah, I wonder yeah. if we're going to see that someday. Uh, well, actually, I think there are some portables that are ready to do that. I, I saw, we had a question also, just another tangent on a tangent. The largest drive right now reportedly is from Toshiba. It's a 512 gigabyte. But, but no, nobody's I seen did, it, right? Well, I've only seen, supposedly it's only offered in some of their laptops. Okay. I did not see it anywhere. They even had a part number. So it's not offered uh, as a standalone item, I, I think the largest commercially available now, I think, is 256. So the largest existing is 512 gigs, but the largest you can buy that sounds about the right. premium is uh, 256 from uh, from what I've seen. That sounds about right. All right. Uh, I do want to get through a couple of things. We we got on a very quick tangent and didn't really spend enough time to explain it last week about putting a, an SSD drive in the express card slot of your Mac. Oh, yeah. And I, I, you know, there was, there was an assumption laid down at the beginning of that conversation that clearly uh, we did not explain. So I'm going to let Matt's question lead us quickly through this assumption. Hey guys, this is Matt from North Carolina. I was just calling cause I guess I want to get some clarification on what you were talking about in your previous uh, podcast, which was MGG209. Um, when you were talking about uh, the Express Card and flash memory and the Bron, uh, uh, I guess it was a Broncore or something like that, uh, um, external solid uh, state drive. Um, I uh, was uh, interested in what you were saying about the solid state, the 32 gigabyte solid state uh, drive for your Express Card slot in the MacBook Pro. I have a, a late. 2008 MacBook Pro, and um, do I understand you correctly that if I put that in there and I use more than the four gigabytes of memory that I have, uh, you know, installed in there, will it then go to the uh, for the um, uh, instead of going to my regular hard drive, will it um, overflow onto that um, Express Card memory um, uh, and? I assume that would be just as fast as the regular memory and essentially giving me 32 gigabytes more of uh, RAM. All right. Uh, I'll stop there. I think we've explained the question. So what we talked about was having the putting an SSD drive in the express card slot and then using that as the storage place for swap files, which would be the virtual memory that Mac OS 10 uses when Mac OS 10 doesn't have enough physical RAM 
to do everything it needs to uh, to hold everything that it needs to hold. Now, uh, by just simply plugging this into the express card slot, that is not automatic. Uh, what happens when you plug a drive into the express card slot is it appears in the finder like another hard drive. You may have to reformat it. It might come formatted as Windows. You might need to format it as Mac. But it's just like putting a hard drive in, you know, or connecting a, a USB or FireWire drive. So first step is get it formatted up. The second step is involves some terminal wizardry. And I'll put a couple of links to uh, to the places where you'd change this. Uh, but you need to change the location of the system swap file. And uh, and you do that in some startup scripts on the Mac. Uh, once you once you have that in place, then it will use whatever this drive is as your swap location as opposed to the hard drive. There's two benefits there. One, you're not storing your swap files on the main drive that you are reading from and writing to and booting from and all that, and that's always good. The other is, in theory, uh, it will be storing these on, or because it's storing these on an SSD drive, you might get a benefit from faster read and potentially faster write times. However, Check the benchmarks on the drive, as we've talked about uh, in this quick little discussion here, or maybe not so quick discussion. Uh, not all SSD drives are created equal. And from what I've seen, a lot of the ones that have uh, SSD card, uh, express card uh, options, they're not the best, newest, fastest SSD drives out there. So check into it before you do this. Uh, what sounded like a good idea last week may not be a good idea in practice yeah. because there's because there's not a fast enough version of an SSD drive to put in there. So uh, so that's that. Right. But it's potentially a quick way to share data among Macs that happen to have this. But no, I agree. We, we it, it. The thing is, what's on the card is memory. But as far as the Mac is concerned, it's a disk drive. That's right. The thing is, what determines the amount of memory in the Mac is basically whatever firmware or BIOS, which, you know, right now I think the max is 8 gigabytes. Uh, right? On the higher-end MacBook Pros. On the laptops, yes. Oh, on, the, on well, the desktops, yeah. I forget if they go, what, 32 or some crazy number. Yeah, but but the machine determines how much RAM it sees. If, if you got the maximum in the RAM slots, and again, at least in the portables, there are two slots, and once you get beyond a certain point, the machine either doesn't work or it just doesn't see it. Right. All right, moving on to uh, to Mark's question, which is, yeah. Related. Hey, guys, this is Mark. Um, I had a question. I was just driving in listening to podcast number 209, and uh, you talked about uh, the SSD drives, and one of the things that you guys mentioned was how sometimes you listen to the hard drive and how that gives you kind of an indication of what's going on on the uh, you know with your computer it's kind of an important indication well i'm somebody who came over from the windows world and you might know that on windows machines there's a little hard drive light that flickers on and off and um i use that excuse me while i make sure i'm not um running anybody off the road i use that as uh, something that uh, helps to just give me another indication about what's going on with my computer. So I became really dependent on that little flickering uh, light on my laptop, on my Windows laptop. And I'm wondering if on my MacBook Pro, if there's any utility that I can use that can sort of simulate that flickering light to help give me that kind of insight 
into what's going on with my hard drive, and uh, and then it will give me that indication about if uh, my computer is slowing down because it's sitting there grinding away trying to access my hard drive. So that's my question. Thanks, guys. Bye. Uh, yeah, so it, it's worth noting that some Windows machines have these hard drive lights on them, but not all. Uh, certainly, it's not yeah. a prerequisite of, of it being a Windows machine. But but yeah, I mean, yeah. It, Apple does. Apple specifically does not put a hard drive light on, but some other manufacturers so, choose to. So here's what you do. Uh-huh. I mean, we are the Mac Geek app. So what you want to do is get instructions for disassembling your machine, because every hard drive, as far as I know, does have pins on the hard drive itself that are for an LED output, if not already having an LED and you just can't see it. So my recommendation would be to disassemble your machine, get to the hard drive, break out the soldering iron, get an LED of the correct type, solder it to the LED pins, kind of run the wires. You may have to drill a hole somewhere, run that LED out and you have a custom Mac that is just going to be the envy of all your geek friends. You, You could do that. How do you like How uh, that? That's, that's nice. <laughs> or for yeah. free, go on, Dave. <laughs> uh, yeah, for free. Yeah. Uh, there are two things you can get. One is our favorite, uh, one of our favorite utilities, menu meters. And another that's very similar to that is iStat menu, both of which are available for free. Menu meters has not been updated since January of 2006. Now, I still have it un- installed on almost every Mac that I use. Yes. Um, it's... It does it, man. The drive lights, to me, are indispensable because I know when it my machine is grinding. But but it's here's the, the here's the thing. I, as I was doing some searching today to to look for other drive light things, I noticed some reports of people saying that uh, it does not work. Menu meters or iStat menu do not currently work under Snow Leopard, and this is not Ooh. a bug with the beta of Snow Leopard, from what I understand. It's people saying it's because, you know, things have fundamentally changed and Apple, you know, both of these things in Leopard did not would not work by default. They had to hack into the uh, the, the the menu structure, uh, the, the the whole system UI server. There was a way that they yeah. tapped in using either menu cracker or something else that that essentially allowed you to put stuff up there that wasn't supposed to be there. Well, apparently that lock has been tightened further and I don't know how this is going, how people are going to do this. And, and I, I mean, it, maybe there's another way. Maybe there's, you know, menu cracker version two that, you know, will will work fine with Snow Leopard. I don't know. But uh, but it's worth it's worth stating that, you know, if you get attached to one of these apps come September, you may not have the opportunity to use it anymore. And, and that was something that scared me when I read about it today. But uh, but I, I figured I'd throw it out there. So option number three, activity monitor. You can run Activity Monitor, and that will show you uh, disk usage inside it. But it, it, you know, it's not a perfect solution. So, my solution is a perfect solution because it will always it is. work. Yours is yours is better than the other the other three. It will work with every <laughs> it, operating system. Yes, it involves some risk, but yeah, minor amount of uh, amount of risk. But no, you're right. Yeah, it would work. Soldering iron, drill. Come on. Yeah, most of our listeners, I assume, know how to use these tools. I would. Uh, okay. Uh, so you went to Pepcom, John. You want to? Yes. Uh, we've got a little bit of time here. You want to? You want to tell us what uh, yeah, what you found really. at at Pepcom? Not really. Okay. No. Yes, I do. All right. So Pepcom, they they have uh, shows uh, all over the country, New York City, several times a year. Here are the devices that I saw that caught my eye. So we're gonna uh, hit on some of the well, 
very quickly. So probably the neatest one, because I think this is breaking the limits for bandwidth, Belkin introduced a gigabit power line solution. Whoa. So gigabit over power lines. Now, there's still the same restrictions, I think, in general, where you got to be at the same segment and all that stuff. But gigabit, 150 bucks for two of them. Uh, and that's what they were shown. So just to just to make sure everybody understands, these are devices that plug into your AC outlets in your house. Yes. And let you share uh, or send Ethernet back and forth. Uh, they've got, you know, AC outlets on one side and cat five jacks or maybe cat six. I don't know. Cat five. E probably uh, yeah. on the other. And you plug it in and, and boom, it magically shares the data across the power lines. And, and we've discussed these, in, you know, in some capacity in the past. And they've worked, you know, they, they have they have their their pros and cons. I think, Pete, you used a you used a not not this gigabit one, obviously, but right. I do. I, I have one for my sling box. Oh, you still use it. I, oh, I do. I love oh, it. Yeah. And it's okay. not on the same circuit. It's two two separate circuits. And you get enough on, enough bandwidth to make right. your sling box. I, I do. Oh, yeah. High def in the house. OK. And uh, but but I will caution. I think I said this before. Um, you're limited to one. When you do put two on there, I, I think you get data collisions going on. Makes and, sense. And, uh, which brings me to a question I just thought of sitting here. Could you probably put a router on one end and you, and then switch and go that way? So that, if you need to, to extend, you could put a wireless router or you can I'm just put a, a wired router and have a, a switch, basically. This would be, yeah, this would yeah. be a great solution for that. If you had, you know, if we talked a couple of shows ago, John, right, about... Um, extending you know to extend your wireless network the best thing to do is to put cat 5 from one right. side of your house to the other well if you don't already have that in the walls and you're not into ripping things apart and putting it back together and repainting uh then you this would be you know potentially a, a very cheap solution let's say you know we haven't tested this yet it's it's not available it's a temporarily out of stock on their website my guess is it's never been in stock yet you know it's, it's just waiting but um even if yeah, it's they, half they the had, speed, even if it's half the speed, that's still better than you're going to get on wireless. And, you know, you're you're extending your network and you're good to go. So. Cool. Cool. So there's that. Another thing I saw, which, uh, you know, the draw here is they gave me one to use uh, Energizer XP 2000. Doesn't that sound cool? Charger. It does. Uh, it's basically a little battery, a uh, lithium battery polymer i think it's not lithium iron i think it's some other lithium technology basically it's a and i have a link to it dave uh okay bring that up but no it's a it's i think it's a couple of thousand a milli or now they measure it in milliwatt hours or whatever but anyways it's a portable usb charger and you can charge it through usb cable and actually they include a lighter plug and a uh, 120 plug to plug it into the wall but then they include a cord and then all these ends and one of the ends is a mini usb which my crazier uses another is a ipod and they have a couple of others and i think you can also get more tips from them okay so it's basically a and, and it charged my phone fully before being depleted and they claim that they can charge most smartphones with this xp 2000 model which is a certain capacity a number of times so just having a backup because i think there have been times where i've been on the road and i did not bring my usb cable uh this would have been very handy because um so that my phone. <laughs> so the two the two thousand is two thousand milliamp hours. Uh, milliamp from hours, what okay. I'm reading on their their website, but but it, just to be clear, it's a battery in there. You can charge its yes. battery up and then use that to to 
extend charging to some, but not all of your your other devices. Like like right. no, no laptops hanging off of this thing. No, they do have higher. Yeah, they have higher capacity units that could be used for laptops. Ah. This one is for iPods and phones for, yeah. for the most part. That's handy. So it's got a lot of juice. Um, you know, the, the getting around the annoyance of not being able to replace the battery. At least you can use things like that. This is one of the products, but I like it because it works on my phone and my iPod. So that's right. kind of cool. Right. Um, oh, that's, 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 you got, I think that's about it. You got, you got, you got to have one more for us, right, John? Uh, yeah. Well, one here, well, Kingston, so actually the vendors, so Kingston, actually, they're reselling two of the Intel drives as their own, but but the Kingston label. They are offering a low, lower cost drive. Um, SSD, with, you know, SSD drive? Yes, SSD drive. So there are a, a, a number of vendors. Seagate has some, they really weren't showing them. Yeah, so I thought they were showing them, but but it turns out Kingston was was showing the bulk of them and only one was their brand. The others were, were re, rebranded Intel. So oh, got it. still, but, but there are a lot of people. Uh, we got a lot of great links from the listeners, which uh, I'm going to include in the notes. Cool. Uh, but Kingston offers a, you know, kind of economy one. My only caution would be just, you know, see if you can get benchmarks on it as far as especially the right time. Um, the other thing I'd look into the, with the, with these drives is just the, what they claim to be the MTBF mean time between failures or just the lifetime in general. Because uh, as we mentioned before, flash memory will wear out. It won't go right. away, but you can't write to it anymore. And then you got to think about that. And uh, I think the jury's still out as uh, how long they actually do last under real conditions. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, cool. All right. Well, I'm, I'm uh, you know, tempted to bring the band in here, but, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm worried about it uh, causing issues. But I think we're okay. What? <laughs> well, you know, we've had the, the stuttering issue. I, I don't know what, I, I don't know why that, I don't know why that's getting worse as opposed to better. Because now I'm saving across the network, so I'm not saving to the local drive. But yeah, uh, yeah, I can't believe it. We didn't talk about how you can get in touch with us, Dave. And the first way I would get in touch with us is on the telephone. Two oh six 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 geek, which last I checked is four three three five. Where you right. can email us at feedback at MacGeekGab. And what was that, Dave? Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's right. Oh, yeah. Good one. Uh, Good save. Y- you can Skype your comments to MacGeekGab. We had a caller this week, John, that had... Or, uh, they're not a caller. It was an emailer that used uh, on, with the new iPhone OS oh, 3.0. Yeah. You have the ability to... There's the voice memo app. So you can record a voice memo on your iPhone and then right from there, you can email it to us at feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Awesome. Or yeah. your iPod Touch if you have... Second generation. Right. If you have microphone uh, earphones with a mic. Oh, right. Oh, right. That's right. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. which I'm scrambling around uh, about for. Because I know it can do it, man. I'm just going to find the right ones. So... What else? Portable Media Expo, New Media Expo has merged into Blog World Expo. Blog World. Yep. And this is happening October 15th through 17th out in Las Vegas. If you wish to go, I will almost certainly be there. And when I say almost, it's because I've got a family Mm -hmm. trip uh, the weekend prior. We've got to head to Florida. But uh, there will be many people from TMO there, I think. I'm hoping that John and I will both be there. Uh, And you can get a 20% off with a special code. Remember, you're important to us. 
You're important to the Blog World Expo people, and your code is Observer VIP. So uh, Observer VIP gets you twenty percent off. Come out and check it out. It's a it, it's kind of the best of, of both shows. Is really what it is. Blog World Expo and New Media Expo have now merged, and uh, and it, it it's shaping up to be something really special. So uh, Observer VIP, mm-hmm. iPhoneAlley.com is where Michael Johnston hangs out when he's not here converting this podcast into AAC for you. Cashfly.com provides all the bandwidth. Cashfly, as uh, as it was pointed out to me, some of you may not know what they do. They provide edge caching services, meaning they've got servers all over the world, and uh, we upload our content to them. And then when you go download, it auto-picks the closest server to you and downloads uh, very quickly from there. So they provide the bandwidth, but they also provide the speed. That's cashfly.com. Through the podcast marketplace this month, we have the A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software, PDF Pen from Smile on My Mac, and Notebook from Circus Ponies, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And John, I think that's it. It's time to go. I'm finished. Yeah, we're finished. You're done. This is done. That's right. iTunes comments. We love those. We especially love the fact that you subscribe. The fact that you listen, the fact that you contribute, thank you very much for all that. And don't get caught. Made up.